What do you suppose happened out there last night? Well, we're going to know in just a second, just as soon as I can get this, this recorder set up. Well, what's wrong? Won't it work? Yeah, it works. Uh, take it easy. Reading Last week, I planted my wire recorder in the steam room at a lady's Turkish bath. You heard me? A spook hunt in a haunted house. enthusiastic about ghost hunting that he got out of a sick bed this evening to be with us. Excuse me, my lungs. I was uh, gassed in the First World War. Yeah. The orchestra opens the program with It Serves You Right. Yeah. This is Reading Roulette, the world's only choose your own adventure literary podcast. Hosted by Brian Ward. And I'm Bill Lyon. And this week, Choose Your Own Adventure, number five, The Mystery of Chimney Rock by Edward Packard, part two of two. We better go in and wake him up. Welcome to Reading Roulette, world's only Choose Your Own Adventure literary podcast. I'm going to have you meet two gentlemen who are here with me. Incidentally, we're the only people around for miles and miles. I'm Bill Lyon. I'm Brian Ward. And this week... Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Oh, I thought you meant in reality. No, no. I was reading an article today about like what would happen if they actually did blow up the moon. Oh my God! Stay tuned. Wow, Christmas abortion. Well, it's not incidental. It sounds like it's like intrinsic to the plot. This abortion. It's it's well, it's the the very first scene. Fetus is crawling out of a bucket. Oh God! It sounds a lot better than it actually was. It comes back (laughs) into the mic. You remember this? This is maybe. Three, four, six months ago. Then probably not. I sent you a text from a dead zone in America where there's no cell phone reception. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And it was a picture of myself next to Chimney Rock. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. And I don't think I ever talked to you about that. No, no. I got got the chills when I saw it. So I stayed for a week at a silent Trappist monastery. Really? In like a desert in New Mexico. Awesome. And it was like off like in this wilderness, in this canyon. Nothing for miles. I could talk about that for a long time. It was like a weird experience. Isn't that funny? Like a, a silent retreat. You could talk could just about like, that. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. They have all the good jokes. Those guys who, uh, the monks. A lot of eye rolling. <laughs> uh, a monk died while I was there. What? And it was really intense. The ceremony for his funeral was beyond anything I had ever seen wow, in my life. I can imagine. Buried him right there. They just dug a hole in the ground because they don't use embalming or anything. Okay. And so it was. Um, it was an intense experience. And so after I had been there maybe five, six days, I just felt like I need to like take a break from this. So I took my rental car and I just sure, went for a drive. Sure. I kind of, I cheated at this week long silent retreat. I cheated. So I just drove north randomly up into Colorado. And I, I saw a sign that said, Chimney Rock. Rock, 50 miles or 100 miles. And I yeah. just thought, Brian and I are doing this podcast. I have to do How it. How could you not take that, right? So I drove there and I take the picture. I'm taking this selfie. And you probably didn't see the terror in my eyes in this <laughs> selfie. Jeez. But what happened was I'm going back to retake the selfie to take a really good one. Yeah, yeah. And I start seeing one motorcycle drives off, oh, then two, <laughs> then 50. Then all of a sudden there's this 
giant motorcycle gang blocking my exit from this state park. From Chimney Rock. From Chimney Rock. I'm about to be Chimney Rock. Yes, you're gonna get it. And I'm like trying to not look scared. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but they almost did like a circle, like in some kind of like 1980s movie where the motorcycle gang is the villains. I can't exit. Wow. And they're kind of circling around my car and I'm like, fuck, I am freaking out. I got out of there, I drove up off the road and onto this grassy thing where I thought, I might just get stuck here. Am I, what's going on? I got yeah. out of there and they were giving me like the evil eye. Really? I mean, maybe, they didn't listen, try to recruit you? I'm sure our motorcycle listeners, well, motorcycle people are great. You have no idea what you're talking about. This wasn't a gang, it was just some nice people. You know, I'm sure they were fine. I'm sure they're fine. Sure. But the way they blocked my exit, it was I, not fine. and I'm just in the wilderness and I have no idea where the F I am in Chimney Rock. If they, they didn't know about this book. <laughs> I'm sure one of these bikers has got to maybe, be a, maybe. an enthusiast. And then I got lost because I just got out of there really fast. I want to go in the wrong way. So I went maybe 40 minutes <laughs> oh, further no. into the wilderness and then I had to go back and I passed them again. again? <laughs> yeah. And, and I was probably the only other car they saw for yeah. maybe the whole day because I was just in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> And so I was afraid they were going to be like, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. Sure, sure. Got my heart pounding. I thought I was going to be chimney rocked. <laughs> it was scary. But I wanted to take a better selfie. I just couldn't. I you didn't want to say. Hey, excuse me, sir. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Leather, sir. That would have been the reverse psychology thing to do. Did you have a copy of the book with you? <laughs> I wish. I wish. Wow. So did you go back to the retreat? Yeah, I went back to the retreat. And yeah. you couldn't tell anybody then, right? Well, it's... Almost pitch black, folks. And Some documentary of Into the Silence. Into Great Silence. Yeah. It's, it's a very good documentary. Was, was it like that at all? It's exactly like that, yeah. That's more pastoral. I think that documentary is at maybe the original Trappist monastery. Yeah, that's a very bucolic setting. That's like yeah. the cinematic monks. Although I should tell you, this place is maybe the most beautiful place I've ever seen in America. I better tell them who you are so they won't think you're a ghost. Huh? An orange grower. Yeah, should I get some lemonade? I don't believe in ghosts, never have, but what I say is this, if you're dead set on looking for them, this is a dandy place to do it. The head of Jervis. Fast, you know, it is fast overviews. Fuck that ring of keys, I'm out of here. Jervis's freaky head staring at you, chased by a ghost, suffocate, locked in a closet by a ghost, policeman has a ghost-induced heart attack, meet old lady in a rocking chair knitting, jump through a window and nearly die. Composite image, like a mosaic. Love to have like, a mosaic of that. All of those things combined to make up his weird fucking. Yeah, you can head. make his head out of it. I love it. Get some tile uh, and do it. Well, uh, anyway, uh, should we go inside now? Now we're going to go through some of the adventures, mystery, terrors, rather. Yeah, we're, we're the running in the section. house. We're yeah. right in the middle of this shit. So yeah, this caretaker, he's in this house sometimes. He's sometimes out of the house freaking you out. He is, uh, he's a scary dude. Sometimes he's cursed. Sometimes he's just a dick. And he's he's like the boss here. You know, you you know you're not supposed to be in this house. Like that's part of it. You know you're screwing around in this house. So when you get caught right away, whether it's by Jervis, by the mm -hmm. maid, by Mrs. Bigley, by this cat, you aren't thinking right away from a place of confidence. No. Screw this person. You're thinking, oh no, I'm the bad guy. Yeah, you're, you're feeling in the wrong. guilty. You continue down the stairs. As you take your first step into the kitchen, you see a man peering through a window. He is a large, heavy man, and his square jaw and squinty eyes give him a sinister appearance. He surveys the room and his gaze rests upon you. It is Jervis the caretaker. Although you stand motionless in the shadows, you are certain he has seen you. In a moment, he leaves the window. He must be coming around to the back door. You don't want to fuck with this guy. Probably like nine feet tall, 400 pounds. I thought he was gonna home alone style 
save you from the witch a couple times. I thought he was going to come in, and you, you'd think he's scary at first. Turns out he's got—he's an old man with a heart of no, heart, not really heart of stone, <laughs> a foul-smelling pig-eyed heart of stone. You know, I don't know if there's a lot to discuss with him, just because he's—he's he's almost incidental a lot to a lot of these stories. He's almost like a like a haunting figure who's just hiding outside of the action. But there aren't any real quests or anything where he gets too directly involved. Yeah, he's very peripheral. I think the most direct thing he does is lead you into a coal chute, and he just laughs at you and wanders off. That's right. You almost you die, almost die in a coal mine, but then you call out to your cousin Michael, and he kind of grabs you through this secret passage and somehow pulls mm. you out of this. He almost, yeah, leads you to die in this. For some reason, this place has a coal mine, which is scary. Yeah. So long. It's, it's kind of funny because he's very happy all of a sudden when you get to uh, some of these positive endings where you lift the curse and Jervis is like, Hey, man, thanks a lot. I was in a bad place. You know, Jervis scares you so much that you wind up, I think, running up these stairs and there's a policeman that I think your cousins have called uh, to find you. Mm-hmm. And there's an ending here that scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> you walk to the slowly opening door. As it opens wide, you feel a blast of air. You look inside. The window is broken. A strong breeze is blowing in. When you realize it was only the wind that opened the door, you laugh out loud, but stop abruptly as you hear a cry from the hall. You step through the doorway. There before you, lying on the floor, clutching at his chest, is a policeman. My heart, he cries. A moment later, he is dead. A few feet away at the top of the stairs, Michael is standing, open-mouthed. It was you, he says. I thought it was a ghost. And I guess the policeman did too. The end. Whoops. But I think they really imply there that, or Edward Packer does that it was a ghost. That's how I always took it. Yeah, but he just leaves it kind of vague enough where you don't know. I mean, the ghost is getting away with the crime, basically. Yeah, yeah. You can't prove it. And because you're a kid, you get away with it too. Oh, yeah. Hey, dead cop, no harm, no foul. You just leave that house, leave the body there. You go home, you you eat some Cheetos. Finish off your vacation. Maybe stay up to see some Carson. Yeah, why not? So you're on vacation. Yeah. Mom, it's vacation. I'm already fine. I haven't thought of that since I was a kid in grammar school. Maybe you accidentally spill the beans like three years later. You know, <laughs> you're just in conversation. Mom is just like, you know, saying something about cops in general. And you're like, yeah, I remember the cop looked like that when he was dead on the floor. What? Oh, nothing. You don't think that kid, when he comes back to school, he's like, you know what I did this, this vacation? <laughs> yeah, I had a lonely childhood when you come right down to it. Yeah, you're taking credit for it. What I really like about Edward Packard's writing is it's not really flashy. He doesn't go over the top, over uh, illustrating anything. It's just very precise. It's just what it needs to be. He just gives you enough to take it if you want to bring it there. Yeah, that actually is perfectly describes the page I'm looking at right now, Brian. Jervis frightens you. Again, you're running through this house trying yeah. to avoid this menacing caretaker. Mm-hmm. and. You get trapped in a closet. That happens a lot in this book. Yeah. Either the cat closes the door on you, or maybe maybe the witch does. You know, you don't know what's going on. And uh, this ending just says, It is a big closet with enough air to last you two or three hours. So it just lets you know you're going to suffocate, but it doesn't yeah. tell you you're going to suffocate. So yeah. you have two or three hours to think about suffocating. Can you hear me? That's a really horrible ending because it's not just this immediate thing where you're just put out of your misery. Hello? It gives you enough time to be filled with complete dread and horror and to take it all in. Hello? Very direct, very subtle. The poetry is how simple it is. 
Did we talk about this before? It's almost like a haiku. You know, mm. It's just distilled to this essence of poetic dread. And the more you're running around through this house, you also get a chance to get a little bit more backstory. There's a lot about Mrs. Bigley, how she's a witch, and some shit with the cat. And you gradually realize that she is the cat, or she might not be. She's got some sort of familiar, maybe, with the cat. It wears you down. But you hear an old lady in this room, just this dropped in the middle of the story, and it never comes back at all. It's this weird oasis. I thought it was really interesting. You walk along a passageway that leads to a large hall. The floor is covered with oriental rugs, and the walls are lined with antique oil paintings. A grandfather clock slowly ticks the minutes away, its long brass pendulum swinging back and forth. Suddenly, a voice from upstairs shatters the silence. Melissa, Melissa! You start up the stairs, determined to find out who it is. When you reach the top, everything is silent. Then you hear a cough from one of the bedrooms. The door is ajar. You look in and see a very old woman, sitting in a rocking chair, knitting. Come in, come in, she calls in a cheery voice. Are you Mrs. Bigley, you ask? The woman smiles and laughs. No, no, she says. I am her sister, Mrs. Krim. Mrs. Bigley is my cat. But I thought Mrs. Bigley was a person, not a cat, you exclaim. Indeed, she is a person, Mrs. Krim says cheerfully, when she's not a cat. You don't mean that she can change into a cat, you ask. Let's just say Mrs. Bigley leads a double life. You see, she is a witch, Mrs. Krim replies. A witch, you exclaimed. She beckons you closer. You are young, she says, and I am old. You must understand that there are things that people don't talk about so you never learn about them except through experience. Sometimes horrible experience. What do you mean, you ask? Mrs. Krim fixes her steely gray eyes on you and waits for you to meet her gaze before continuing. When my sister was a little girl, she wanted to be a cat. She had a cat of her own and she named the cat Melissa after herself. After the cat died, my sister missed her so much that she would often pretend that she was that cat. Gradually, my sister's personality changed. She began to act more and more like a cat, and even to look like a cat. Then one day... And this sets up one of my favorite endings in the book, Bill. This is, this is hilarious. It's like one of these things that I feel only exists in these choose-your-own-adventures, because I cannot imagine this happening in real life. Suddenly, Mrs. Krim looks up, her face taut with fear. Run to the window and jump, she cries. Jump for your life! You have no time to think. You throw open the window and jump, landing on the ground with a terrible thud. A shooting, stabbing pain flashes through your left arm. Michael and a policeman come running up. You have a broken arm, the policeman tells you a moment later. That marks you as another victim of the curse of Chimney Rock. When somebody tells you- Quick, jump out the window! Do you? Huh? Man, I feel like here- Okay, so, I've experienced some hauntings in my life, Brian. Okay. I have some, I have some experience with the undead realm. The, the nefarious undead realm. And so I would imagine in the situation, if there really was real supernatural danger, you as a kid would be filled with this kind of unholy fear where you would somehow know, I do need to jump out this window. But yes, in the world of reality, in the world of science, in the world of this is not real, of course you wouldn't jump if someone just yells at you like that, right? But if you're filled with like almost like a ghostly presence comes into you and almost your god and guardian angel jumps into your soul yeah. to warn you this is your only way out, to not only save your life, but to save your soul, mm -hmm. 
You jump. You want me to do what? Well, you're jumping out a window a lot in this book. In one of them, you die jumping out a window. Yeah, and it's a really sad picture of a boy in grass. Oh, you know, dear. just yeah, like a drummer boy in the Civil War did in one of those Matthew Brady pictures. Wow, what an analogy. That's freaking amazing. The atmosphere is so very... A lot of defenestration, self-defenestration. One of the core themes of this book, along with shrinking. I don't know what this word is, defenestration. What a great oh, word. when you go out the window. Jumping out the window? Yeah. Oh, my God. What a word. Probably heard him howling. He jumped through the window and took off. Jervis uh, sometimes leads you to almost uh, heroic endings, you know, endings where you win somewhat. One of these endings is a victory, but it's haunting. It's, it's almost more haunting than some of the violent deaths you experience. I'm going to find out what he's talking about, you say to your cousins, and you let Melissa down and walk toward the cottage. Michael and Jane follow. For a while, your knocking goes unanswered, but finally Jervis opens the door. At first, he doesn't seem anxious to talk to you, but when you persist in your questioning, he explains that he was promised a reward if he would live in the cottage and take care of the cat until it chose a new owner. You ended the curse, but don't think that you're going to get any of the reward, he shouts as he slams the door in your face. Three of you search for Melissa but she is nowhere to be seen. It's getting late, so you start home, pausing just long enough to take a last look back at Chimney Rock. But when you do, there is nothing to be seen except a meadow filled with wildflowers. The curse of Chimney Rock itself was no more than a dream. Yeah, very nice. So Jervis this whole time, and that storyline was just Mm -hmm. living there to try to get some money. He's living there for money, trying to get a yeah, reward. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's just making like wheatgrass, blending it out. Of, like I don't know what he is yeah. doing to stay alive. Got a little patch of grass around the back of the cottage. Maybe he eats grass. Well, he feeds the dog. I mean, I have no idea. Who knows? Yeah. I remember every hundred years recurrence of a ghost story, probably around the same age, second grade, writing a story for Halloween, like every year, every full moon. So I remember recurrence of a ghost story. Wow, I like the the natural, seasonal uh, element. Seems sad, young people having to spend so much time alone. A lot of these things that might sound a little seasonal, uh, the natural, maybe it seeps in subconsciously, but... Uh, what was I talking about? Uh, oh, the house is gone. The house is missing? How is a house missing? Oh, that's my affair, isn't it? <laughs> it feeds into that sense of wonder. Maybe it seeps in subconsciously. How is a house missing? You know? Sad for old people, too, of course. Oh, the house is gone. Fresh psychological soil. Completely pitch perfect, I think. I agree. I had a most unfortunate accident. Hemorrhage. Hemorrhage? Yes. No, gentlemen. Hemorrhage? Cat on a piano in a terrifying mirror. Hear a piano, cat on a piano, catting it up. Pick up cat and lift the curse. Disappearing house, hire a lawyer. Lawyer screws you out of $250,000. Turning chimney rock into condos. Take or leave cat. Become a quarter millionaire. Your shit cousins get chimney rock. Cat tricks you into becoming a mouse. Trapped in mirror gaze. Cheese and crackers. Hocus pocus into a mouse. Run away from a mirror. Cat on a hot tin piano. That's it. (laughs) There's still more crazy shit going on in this mansion. I think there's one of the maybe essential parts of a haunted house is you hear a piano playing or you hear something, there's a sound happening and you go to investigate the source of the sound and there's nothing there. Absolutely. So you don't know if something's chasing you or if it was ghosts or if it was nothing and just your imagination. You start to go crazy. You hear this piano playing, you go into a room and there's just a cat sitting there Mm -hmm. and your experience in this book is telling you 
Maybe this witch that transforms into a cat or this witch that transforms people into cats. Mm -hmm. Maybe this cat was a person who was playing the piano. Maybe this cat is so intelligent it's playing the piano and it gets you. Maybe there's some kind of magic that just plays the piano itself and lures you in. All this extra sensory trickery. It's some mindfuck. Well, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. I thought you were going to say one of the essential parts of a haunted house story is a lawyer dealing in real (laughs) estate. (laughs) That's always the best part of a ghost story, right? At the end when you you get to meet the lawyer. When you're looking at these dilapidated mansions, you are thinking about how much it's worth. Fuck yeah. What is this? What's up with this place? Mm -hmm. How can these people afford to just keep this place in total disrepair? Why not sell it? And then if you know nobody's selling it, who's living in it? I went into one of these places, I want to say like two years ago. My uh, my mom mm-hmm. had this uh, dream house. She kind of like has looked at for years. Okay. And it overlooks this river. It's up on a hill, south side of Chicago, but it's like in this very like woodsy kind of area. Okay. And there's a cottage that's part of the house, sits up higher on the hill, overlooks everything. And she always thought, wow, what a great place to like paint. Yeah, yeah. Watercolor. And it's like right beneath her favorite spot. And so one day she's feeling kind of sad about, you know, just life or whatever. And I said, you mm-hmm. know what? I saw that place is for sale. I called up the place. I arranged for mm-hmm. this real estate agent mm-hmm. to be there. Oh, cool. We you had a viewing. Oh, cool. We you went in. Viewing. Did you meet the caretaker? Did you meet the caretaker? Kind of. Yeah, no, there was a caretaker who had to be there with us. And it was fucked. It looked like oh, it looked no. like a meth den. Oh, and we kind of got man. some of the stories, but we went inside and it was almost unstable to walk yeah. through. These rooms it's were screwed up and there were like mattresses just laying on the floor, you know, just like yeah. living in squalor. Like a flop house. It was a flop house. Oh, it was a flop house. And the little cute cottage, you know, mm-hmm. was actually just this almost like a barn that the, the groundskeeper, like you're thinking I'm making, but this is real. And uh, he had to like find a special key to let me in. And there was like a ladder leading up to this, but he's like, it's not safe to go up there. What kind of dog did he have chained to the radiator? Oh man, did he have a dog chained to a radiator somewhere. Oh, I'm for this not place. surprised whatsoever, yeah. But I think they wanted like $3 million I'm for this not place. surprised whatsoever, yeah. And it was like, a total shithole. It was a total, it was a, I guess what you might say a teardown. Like a teardown. But maybe it's cursed. I don't know. But yeah, that's what you're <laughs> thinking with this lawyer whose name in this book, Gilliam Prem Esquire. Esquire. What a fucking awesome name. Awesome name. And it turns out that this house is worth what, Brian? A quarter of a million dollars. Which in 79.80 money yeah. is probably like a, $10 million now. Yeah, or that's a good haul. 12 year old kid, right? Yeah. Not bad for picking up a cat. Fuck. <laughs> What a reward. Did you like cats? When you read this book, were you like a cat person? Nah. Jervis. He looks a bit like Santa Claus. Never cashes in. Or maybe he sold it that quickly. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. In a couple of these endings, Jervis just is never seen again. Where is this fucking guy going to go? Really? Oh, man. Is he going to go to the community college and get a job down at a stockroom somewhere? God, what is this guy going to do, He's like right? the, the Brooks is here guy of Shawshank Redemption, right? <laughs> yeah. You just can't make it on the outside. No. You lived in a haunted house your whole life. <laughs> you can't make it on the outside. No, no, no. What would happen in a story setting would be like Jane and Michael's family take him in. That's not happening. What do you think happens to Jervis? Drinks himself to death. That's probably the way this is going. He goes to the bowling alley, gets punched in the stomach, they throw him out in the back, and then he probably dies in an alley. Or he kind of has like a little chimney sweep kind of thing. You know what I mean? He has like a Jean Valjean kind of thing. Comes back to own a factory. It could be. 
I don't think so. <laughs> Leave it open. How fucking pissed were you when you read that ending when Michael and Jane, did they call you up or I think they write you a letter? Hey, guess what? We, we own, own the, the house, house now. now. Yeah. Oh, those motherfuckers. You and your family, you and your mom and dad, siblings, you're gossiping about that crap forever. You're not going to Christmas. You're not going no to Thanksgiving way. anywhere. It's over. That family is tainted. This is a feud. Fuck, that's, that's such a dubious legal argument. Anytime cat ownership is being disputed nah, stop this nonsense. by a guy obviously from some other time and place, this lawyer is not from your modern era in any way. How does your parents know that Gilliam Prem is the lawyer for Mrs. Bigley? Somehow they know this. Your parents know who the lawyer is for this witch. Yeah, this guy has seen some shit. You know what I mean? Maybe he made a little deal with the devil here. Maybe he's like a 200-year-old lawyer. He could be anything, right? Yeah. Got all the books in back. He could be a warlock. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, the like, opens the book. I'll tell you what, if, you, if, you're, if you're an old lawyer, you've had some shady clients. And I bet you, all of, our, all of our lawyer listeners, please feel free to write in and weigh in on this. But um, you got some shady dealing mafia type people. You got some drug dealers come to you. This thing's where you're helping somebody who's obviously innocent of a crime. You know, you do that every once in a while, but the mm -hmm. big payday comes with ancient devil worshiping. <laughs> you know, that's those are the people who have the old money, yeah, you know? Yeah. So you got some Rothschilds and some Rockefellers on your payroll. And Absolutely. that's what really pays the bills. Every once in a while you help like a little kid out. You, you feel good about yourself, but really, you know, it's, it's the devil worshipers who pay. You know who those people are representing. Yeah. Most people do, of course. Son, you're coming to me with a question about cat-related real estate ghost issues? I imagine the question in the minds of those of you listening to us is... Oh, uh, where's that card for Gilliam Prem? Gilliam Prem, lawyer to the dead. <laughs> or the undead. Yes, the undead. There's a part in this section, it kind of pertains more to our Mrs. Bigley, the witch, but I wanted to read it anyway. Hmm? Terrifying, it has to do with this mirror. Oh yeah, the mirror. You walk back toward the stairs and turn down another hall leading to some bedrooms, the furthest of which may connect to the music room. At the end of the hall is a large mirror in an ornate gold frame. As you approach it, you see your own reflection and behind it, the silhouette of a tall elderly woman dressed in black. Even in the dim light, you can see her burning green eyes fixed on you. They seem to pin you to your place with a power so strong that you cannot move. You stand helplessly as she walks toward you. You know you must force yourself to act. It's, it's it's such a great set piece because you're not looking directly at the threat and you're not even sure if the threat is real. Oh, it's like a camera angle that only someone from like the French New Wave would use. Yeah. You know, it's just so oblique and indirect. It's perfect. It's scarier than mm -hmm. actually looking at your assailant. Doubling down of that terror. Can you trust what you're seeing? Can you trust what you're feeling? What's real? And also that you're physically frozen. Yeah. Like you, you know what I mean? It's not just you're mad. You're physically frozen in place, mm -hmm. not just emotional. You're physically frozen. And so there's some kind of power where almost you feel like you're going to be trapped in the mirror. Yeah. Like you don't exist anymore. It's just your image. Like your soul is going to be sucked into the mirror. Awesome. It's a psychological duel. Now we've got... Trapdoor to Mummies, Oh Fuck, and Wine Cellar and Witch. 
up the stairs. Fast. And you know, it is fast overviews. Back to the landing. Beautiful trap door. This cat is fucking you. Get dizzy. Library. Roofied by cat. Cat, big as a tiger, murders you. Down the spiral staircase. Trap door to basement. Miniaturized by cat magic. Oh shit, this bitch is making mummies. Cry for help and get mummified. Run away from witch. But shit, that picture though. Up the stairs. Open the closet. Take the keys. Meet the cat. Unlock the chest and find Mr. Bigley's letter. Die in cave-in. Escape in a cave-in. Break the curse. All right, Brian, Whew. now we're to Mrs. Bigley, this scary-ass witch. It's a reveal. She's a witch. She's a cat. She's turning people into cats. Uh, she's turning all, people into mummies. She's killing her own husband. She's haunting her oh, own husband. yeah, the family is, is messed up. You heard me. The full horror is finally becoming realized here. The one thing that I never imagined I would see in this haunted house is a, a room full of Egyptian mummies? Did that take you by complete surprise? Complete surprise. It's the last thing you expect in a haunted house. In a horror story, yes. And making modern day mummies is terrifying. Yeah, and it's it's strange because it's not directly related. It opens a window to more horror. As you search the cellar, you see a door with a hole in it large enough for a cat to go through. You turn the knob and cautiously unbolt the door and open it. Shining your flashlight all around, you are amazed to see before you a cave filled with mummies and skeletons adorned with shining jewels. You begin to understand the full horror of the witch's curse. Can you escape before you become her next victim? I don't know if I if I do understand the full horror of the witch's curse. Nobody knows what was going on with those mummies. We think we do in ancient Egypt, but you know, the, the curse is real. The people unearthed those tombs. Horrible things happen to them. They love their cats too. Oof. And if you're making mummies and you're a witch, like all of a sudden you realize that this isn't just a play, like she's a real witch. Witchcraft is real. Mm -hmm. Then what is going on with becoming a mummy? Your soul is getting trapped somehow eternally instead of going where you are supposed to go in, mm -hmm. the, in the other life. You're going to some kind of other realm. You're like those those terracotta warriors. Oh yeah, yeah. You are like this undying adjunct to her infernal kingdom. Mummies. You think of Egypt, obviously. You don't think of Connecticut. Suburban Connecticut? How scary is that? Wow. <laughs> As you go further into the house, there's more horror. It's also very real throughout the line of this family. It goes directly to her husband. He has a magnificent white beard. And you're in a wine cellar. Soon you come to a massive oak door. It is locked. You try the keys on your key ring. One of them works. You pull open the door and shine your flashlight inside. There are steps leading down. Drawn by curiosity, you cautiously descend the stairs. When you reach the bottom, you find yourself in an underground tunnel. Its floor is paved with cobblestones. The walls and ceilings are supported by wooden beams. The air is damp and cold. You follow the tunnel for about a hundred feet before it opens up into a wide space filled with casks and racks of bottles. This must be a special cave where Mr. Bigley kept his wines. At the far end of the cave is a chest with three drawers. The top one is locked. You try another one of your keys. It works! You pull open the drawer and take out some yellowed crumbling papers you find there. Among them is a letter written in a shaky hand which reads, To whom it may concern, I, Horace A. Bigley, am a prisoner in my own house held by the ghost of my wife, Melissa Bigley, who died one month ago today, and now has the power to transform people into... 
And you never get to the end of the note because your flashlight goes out, you see a figure, and you feel his eyes fixed upon you. Oof. Get the way you And fucking freaky, Bill. Witchcraft is real? Mm-hmm. Oh man, how scary would it be? to be this lady's husband. Or to be you in a dead man's wine cave. Oof. I love the fact that there's, there's cobblestones. Wine cave? Have you ever been into a wine cave? Never a wine cave. cobblestones? Weird crumbling notes of doom? I bet that wine is really good. <laughs> Fuck yeah. You yeah, know you're going down. Just take it. Try to smuggle a bottle with you out in into hell. Or if you ever escape, that wine might be worth as much as this mansion. $250,000 house. Yeah. yeah, right? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to offer a little PSA. You mean right now? <laughs> you know, th- this book is probably all fun and games to the vast majority of our listeners. Just a little entertaining diversion. But there might be the odd chap who finds himself where this is a little more than a game. You know? Have you accidentally or intentionally married a witch? Are you a prisoner in your own house? Oh, that poor boy. Turn on all of the faucets and run your hands and feet under ice cold water, running water. And I recommend doing that for about 10, 15, 20 minutes. Open all the windows, bathe in salt water if you can. Read aloud from a holy book, such as the Quran, Bible, or Bhagavad Gita. Chop garlic, that actually works. Um, the infernal spirits don't like the smell of chopped garlic. Also, I highly recommend if you, you know, maybe you have an Amazon Prime or something like that. I think you should get uh, Dion Fortune's The Art of Psychic Self-Defense, or maybe it's just called Psychic Self-Defense. That's a classic in the genre and that'll kind of point you in the right direction. I just naturally jumped and took him up at it. And if you aren't exactly a prisoner in your own house, if you can escape crossing running water, such as a river or a stream, that's gonna help. I speak from personal experience, Brian. Yeah, in fresh air. Thank me for the chance last night when I drove him out here. It really doesn't clarify anything. It kind of almost muddies the water a little bit more, but that last part of that lore is a little bit meta. You find a book called The Curse of Chimney Rock. Kind of lays out some shit. Amazing. Yeah, very cool. You hurriedly climb the two flights of stairs to the attic. It is empty except for a large cardboard box containing a few old books and letters. One book strikes your eye. It is titled The Curse of Chimney Rock. You open it and start to read. The book starts by explaining that the first owner, Elizabeth Bigley, was struck by lightning. Her son Charles Bigley was killed when he fell off the roof. His daughter Melissa mysteriously disappeared. You look up from the book for a moment wondering what happens to people who mysteriously disappear. Suddenly you sense that the whole attic and everything in it is growing much larger. But in an instant, you realize that it is you who are shrinking. You are dimly aware that no one will ever see you again. Now, admittedly, the uh, sting of the shrinking ending diminishes over, you know, about six or seven times. But that's a very cool ending because there's a whole deviated family tree there. Did you try and trace the, the genealogy? He's smiling in an embarrassed sort of way. You got old money, old bloodline. You always know there's witchcraft and devil worship involved. You don't get to hell. You don't get to be old money without that. And there's Nazi gold. And you got brothers and sisters marrying. Mice. Husband taxidermy. Oh, forget about posed it. Situations with little nameplates. You trace your genealogy back to Roman times. You know what I mean? These people have like like Roman ancestors. How cozy. Oh, absolutely. Maybe one of the centurions who tortured Christ. Yeah. You're into it. You're in. So yeah, there's no way we could trace the genealogy of Chimney Rock back 
a millennia or more. This house affects me profoundly. Did it give you some sort of idea? Did you think about your own memorial? Would you like to be stuffed as an animal and set up in a little diorama? The exact word I used house? in my notes here, diorama. Yeah, that, that mouse diorama <laughs> with your name plate underneath it. I mean, it beats a gold watch. And it a really little, does, you know. Yeah. I'm not too happy about all this, if that's what you mean. You ever see those gold watches that are mounted with like the name on it? My, uh, my grandpa had one of those, okay. yeah. But I think he would have maybe preferred to be transformed into a into an animal and stuffed and mounted. Oh, yeah. Maybe. First thing I'm going to do is open the windows. He's talking about cemeteries and people not visiting graves. And it was a Well, if you house. had, like, say, creative graves. Have a try anyway. Jellyfish, a griffin. Maybe that would kind of revitalize the cemetery business. Yeah. Start, start thinking outside the box a little Bring bit Bring some more. new life to the cemetery exactly. business. Feels better already. Getting out my belt and trying to make a leash out of it and use it for a cat. You want me to do what? I don't know if it's going to be successful, but it's something I, I think I might want to try now. Yeah, or yeah, if you have a loved one who's yeah. uh, into that. Any sort know. of living creature, if you have a belt, you can just notch it upright and make a leash out of it. What happened in that house? Gerard Nerval, the author, he wrote about memory. Oh, really? I remember very little of it, but I know I love it. It's one of these books on memory. Will you please tell us what happened? I remember very little of it, but I know I love it. Sure, yeah, they're evergreen, right? Yeah, exactly. So every now and then I'll reread this thing and I'm like, wow, this is great. It does my heart good. He's known for, which is like the most eccentric thing I've ever heard of. Walk, I want to say it was down the Champs-Élysées, or one of these great promenades. He had a pet lobster. Yeah, yeah, can't recommend it enough. We've just heard the recording. Get a leash, Christmas gift, or bring out your lobster. Was it Bulwer Lytton who used to go to parties or whatever, but like accompanied by a young girl playing the harp? I think he had to, he had to have that. Oh, really? There. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in there. I don't know. It's no lobster on a leash, but maybe people thought he was batshit crazy. Yeah, yeah. But pretty sure he had to have a young lady playing the harp. Shit. And I mean, we're talking like in the, you know, the 19th century. Not a portable instrument. I would love to see if both of those guys ever were in the same room. That Dude, would be interesting. That's like, you know, that, that, salon that to, million to dollar quartet bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. that. Oh, and get, what's Lobster Guy's name? Nerval. Nerval and Bulwer Lytton. I'm thinking Flava Flav. Sure, why not? So his clock is like, he's like time travel. Like somehow it's oh, like time traveling. And then maybe just like same plot to Back to the Future. Like he has to get struck by lightning at a certain time. We know. <laughs> Flava Flav goes back, back to the in future time, four. But he goes back into the 19th century mm -hmm. to hang out with Nerval and his lobster. All the way with it and his harp lady. And, and they would believe him. Shit. First of all, they would be so shocked to see a black man. We're in they would believe whatever clothes. he said. Oh, yeah. God. You, and a loved one, are going to die one day, possibly violently. And because of this, I suggest that you eat cake before you die. Wolf's Bakery has been serving delicious lemon fluff cake since 1939, since when countless people have died, violently and otherwise. This violent death segment is brought to you by Wolf's Bakery. www.wolfsbakery.net. Order your lemon fluff cake today before you die violently. Shrunk to death. Shrunk to cat prey. Heart attack. Heart attack. Eaten by cat. Eaten by cat. Kidnapped to death. Heart attack. Cave-in. Suffocating closet. Heart attack. Mummified. Shrunk to death. Shrunken cat eats you. Shrink to death. Fall off roof and die. www.wolfsbakery.net. 
order your lemon fluff cake today before you die, possibly violently. All right, Bill, I think we finally made our way out of this crazy mansion. We've just been listening to a playback of the recordings you made out there. You know, the only, I feel like I might have, this feels like almost heresy to say, but I I just have to be honest. I feel like my, my kingdom of childhood enchantment has maybe made this book just a hair greater than it actually is. I think it's wonderful. Um, I feel like maybe we oversold it a little bit. Like if, if you don't know going in what an amazing uh, ride you're in for, how shockingly good this is, and almost you have to suffer through lots of bad choose your own adventure books yeah. to appreciate how good this is. I feel like the way I feel about this book, I, I'm just hearing in my head, 2000 millennials crying out in pain <laughs> saying, R.L. Stein goosebumps, R.L. Stein You know what I mean? Whatever it was, whatever your thing was, uh, I remember my brother loved the, the game The Seventh Guest. If you ever played oh, that, one yeah. of those like, kind of like- It was a computer game, Computer right? game between like the quest for glories and then like modern gaming. Huh? Absolutely terrifying, possibly as enchanting and terrifying, probably more so than this book. But for the 80s, I gotta, this, this is definitely a monument Absolutely. of culture. This is going in the time capsule. I love it. As we go further into these choose your own adventure books, we're gonna have to do some rankings and this I'm sure is gonna come on some best of lists. My head is still swimming slightly and I have difficulty in swallowing. Yeah, no doubt. I remember when there were still stores, <laughs> find something that you really loved. And you see, I wish I could buy that again. You just lovingly look at it. Yeah. And when this is one of the two from my childhood that I kept, it was unfathomably, it was unfathomably, unfathomable to me that I would not have this. Go ahead, put out the light. A portal that you could pick up and just launch yourself into this world. No, absolutely. I remember you and I revisiting this book in late teens, early 20s. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have our psychedelic band. Yeah. Uh, listening to the Spaceman 3. Absolutely. And just freaking out, tripping to Chimney Rock and just being afraid for our lives and thinking it was a massive work of art. We were artistic snobs. You know, we're reading our, our classic literature, including this in the canon. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm surprised that we never called an album that we did, The Mystery of Chimney Rock. Easily could have happened. Oh, yeah. Easily. I don't think we ever came up with anything that was of quality to earn that name. And also, I could see this being a subgenre of the music we love. If I could make one style of music right now, I think it would be Chimney, Chimney Rock. Rock. I believe we never even tried to coin that. We're gonna call ourselves the Rockefellers? Yeah. It's fucking freaky, Bill. Witchcraft is real? Mm -hmm. Oh man, how scary would it be? Uh, business card, Chimney Rock. It's our genre. You want me to go where with? I'm picturing some sort of cramps, garage rocks, and like rock. Motor City oh. dirt and shit with grungy rhythms and stuff. Oh, uh, we just just take our motorcycles and we in steampunk, we just roll right over steampunk. It's just like absolutely. dead in the ground, like <laughs> steampunk freaking roadkill. Didn't even see what was coming. Chimney Rock rocks so hard. <laughs> it still revisits everything for me now. And you know what? I can well imagine people becoming unhinged in this place. Varel Stein seems like a nice guy. Did you ever read any of those? I, I never did. Yeah, because my, my brother is five years younger than me, so I read quite a few of those books. But yeah, I was old enough where I just wasn't enchanted by them. They just seemed like boring kids' books to me. Uh, and, uh, 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 and, uh, but 
I don't know, maybe I probably would have thought the same of choose your own adventure books if I was, you know, like 15 years old. Do you think that those approach the psychology of these books? That Not at all. Fear. Because of the choose your own adventure, the randomness of it, the, yeah. the strangeness of it, it's so absurd by its very nature that it mm -hmm. makes you really think. And then also, as we've seen over time, almost some of these childhood things, it's got more, maybe, I don't know what the right term is for it, but just less violent here, yeah, yeah. just the sheer terror and violence and things you just couldn't say as time goes on. This book is still like a window into that uncensored past. Mm -hmm. When you think of golden age of Choose Your Own Adventure books, that's the essential ingredients. Absurdity, irrationality, terror, without being safe, a little bit dangerous, nobody knows where you are, unbound freedom. Yes. Well, you felt like you were getting away with something because, oh, I'm reading, but really you were not having to read a normal book. So your, your parents were happy that you were reading, mm -hmm. and then secretly you're flop watching all these violent deaths happening, and without the commitment of having to, oh, I have to read a whole book, five minutes, pop out an adventure. Oh, you can't write a book report on a choose-your-own-adventure book. Yeah. My uh, third grade, fourth grade classes, oh, some of their Pizza Hut pan pizza pizza parties <laughs> to me for writing countless book reports on choose your own adventure books and i had a template really and i wrote yeah all the time i had to use a typewriter but i would write typed out your book reports yeah wow. and uh i'm a nerd brian and and so but i would always start them the same way and i can still hear it in my head i would say do you remember this book is about where you want to go and what you want to do which makes no sense, but I think it's I would good, though. start it's good out. It's bullshit. I would try to keep myself honest and read the whole book like mm -hmm. we do now, go yeah. through every single adventure, but sometimes I would cheat a little bit, try to get those six book reports. To, they're the slackers in the class who weren't going to make it, so, you know, I... Put them over the top. Put us over the top and so we could have that pizza party at the end of the year. And we, a lot of times we wouldn't, but, you know, I, I, got, some, I got some Pizza Hut personal pan pizzas <laughs> for free thanks to Choose Your Own Adventure books. And that pizza was always so yeah. good when it was free. Oh, I wish I was eating one right now. Oh, me too. Reading. It's been brought to you by Pizza Hut. Hey. Why, hey, the, Pizza why not? Hut. Throw us a personal fan. Why not? <laughs> Just one. <laughs> yeah, we'll split it. Can we, three bucks. <laughs> yeah, right. And you remember they had this jukebox in, Hell yeah. in Pizza Hut? Discs rotating yeah. so the light would hit the disc. Oh. So amazing. Mm. That was a great time to be alive. Yeah. Well, in summary, scary, scary as fuck. So Bill, out of obviously one of our favorite books here, do you have like a favorite adventure? Yeah, this book is an entity. Some of the other books we've done, and I'm sure some to come, certain endings, certain adventures stand out because the rest of the book is so bad. This is so flawless that you almost can't pick a section. Uh, an outstanding ending to me, I mean, there's so many here, but the mysterious policeman death, where there's a ghost chasing you, and then you go into the room, there's just wind, and then the policeman died, maybe of a heart attack, but maybe the ghost spirit came inside of him. For some reason, that was so on the cusp of horror and reality that it got inside me and terrified me. The ending that I liked the most was funny because it's one of the more positive endings. And I don't think we even touched on it. You break a curse, you relieve the ghost of this trap that he's in, go out into the sunlight, and your heart is light. It just says the best way to escape a curse is to free someone else from it. Oh. Looking at that as a kid, I probably would have just been like, yeah, it's an all right ending, wanting the sinister ones. But reading that now, that's just such a, a relief to see that in there. I think I am on the verge of an important
important discovery. I just love the fact that in the middle of all this really dark, crazy horror and psychological terror, there's just such an awesome, heartfelt ending in there. Oh, it's profound, right? Yeah, it's You're just stuck in a rut. Free somebody else from a rut. Maybe that's how you get out of it. Absolutely. I don't know. Try it this week. Maybe. Free somebody from a curse. Are you all right? I really regret that we didn't talk more about some of these choices. Not talk more, but choosing, you know, because just feeling the pain of the choice. There's one choice where there's a ghostly eyes that just pop out of Mm -hmm. some mist. Yeah. And they warn you leave Chimney Rock now, but never look back, or you will have my fate. Yeah, you'll have my fate. And so it says you escape the end, Mm -hmm. or if you take one last look back, turn the page, whatever. You turn that page, it doesn't even say the end. It's an illustration with just the word, ah, like you're screaming, going all the way down the page, and then the word thunk in this very bizarre script. Yeah. So I want to go to that choice for a second and just say, if it's, it's real life, you get that haunted, it's almost like, you can't look away. Someone says, don't look at this. Do mm-hmm. you feel like as a 10-year-old, as a 12-year-old, you would have looked back? Would you have had the willpower not to look? I think I would have been completely overwhelmed. With wanting to look back or without? No, with not. Because that ghost scared you into not looking yeah, back. Yeah, absolutely. Disembodied set of eyes is telling you, you're going to be fucked if you do this. Get out of here. Uh-huh. Are you going to just jump out of a window because some old lady knitting is like, I think you better leave. Better jump out the window. I'm yeah. like, yeah. That sounds a little far-fetched, but in that situation. You have like a legit ghost telling yeah. you. I don't know. I think I, I would be at peace with that. You might have a little bit of spiritual vertigo, though, almost like where you, you're looking over the ledge and you almost mm. jump because you're just transfixed no, by the you. look. I mean, I'm freaking 12 years old. I might find myself as I'm running mm-hmm. away just in fear almost, just compelled to look back. Whew, what a choice. This book is obviously a must read, it's essential. The Golden Spine, it's in the Pantheon. Out of the five we've done, this is clearly the best one. Yeah. I'll tell you um, what though, by Balloon to the Sahara kind of took me by surprise with how yeah. how strange it was. Like we talked about it being almost like the Citizen Kane of this genre, like taking a lot of chances that you don't yeah, see yeah. done further on. This is kind of in the same wheelhouse of like strangeness, our R.A. Montgomery number four is its own, it's like the room <laughs> yeah. of, of Choose Your Own Adventures. It's messed yeah. up. Yeah, this is clearly the, the best one so far. Like a psycho, if you want to say like a well-executed horror or mm. something like that. It takes black cats and witches and haunted houses, but it really does combine them into this unique thing. Yeah. This book is totally unique and, and wonderful because of that. I agree. Excellent writing. And also these illustrations are Top-notch this oh. time. I have no desire to hurt their feelings. This is Paul Granger. And I think has done everything up to this point. You These guys what? are a wonderful pair. When they're on, they're spot on. Yes. This is only going to look more strange if someone were to read this book like 300 years from now. Like They'll be like, what was up with that weird time, right? Because it's, it's limited mm-hmm. compared with having the unlimited choices of computerized choice-making games, yeah. video games, getting more infinite, having the space to have like different story angles, yeah, you know? Robots, writing. Right. Things. Have you started reading some of these things? That you don't even know. Out? You're reading robots shit and you don't even know robots wrote it. So I think this book is never going to be a thing that's achieved again. So I think it's all, it might possibly grow in stature. We, we might be like Rudolf Steiner discovering Nietzsche, like, uh, you know, coma 
toasts in his in his chair with his giant walrus mustache, and everyone's like, "Why are you writing a book about this evil, weird fucker? Like he's <laughs> writing these weird books, and we might be the first literary <laughs> to really delve into how great discover to reappraise what it's worth. worth." Awesome. Well, I hope that we reach these heights. Well, I think that'll about wrap it up. Yeah. Number five, Mystery of Chimney Rock by Edward Packard. We got another Edward Packard book coming up. Your code name is Jonah. Awesome. Choose your own adventure number six. I'm thinking spy. Yeah, there's some submarine stuff. Anything's possible. Make sure to follow us uh, on Facebook at uh, Reading Roulette Podcast. Twitter, shoot us an email, readingroulette.podcast at gmail.com. For Reading Roulette, I'm Bill Lyon. And I am Brian Ward. We're going to sign off for a minute, but we'll be back if they smash the head again. Did it right to you. Willie Mammoth. Yeah, didn't that leave you high, huh? Left me feeling treetop tall. From what we heard on the recording, there were ghosts in that house. So